All right, now we talk about things. Go first. So this past Saturday, we saw... <laughs> nope, nope, what? not how we're doing the episode. Try again. Welcome to Game Life Balance US, the American edition of the Game Life Balance podcast. We're a lifestyle podcast hosted by adult gamers trying to juggle our hobbies with the increasing demands of the real world. Check out our website for links to connect with us on YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher, and more at GameLifeBalance.us. And if you like what you hear, then please leave us a review. I'm Kier from In Defense Of, a podcast member of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the one you're listening to now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other podcasts at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready, because geekiness begins in three, two, one. Here we go! listener i am cody goff and i am not joined this week by jonathan martin aka uncle stabbo i didn't know why game life balance australia yeah maybe it's a maybe it's a well-known person in australia i don't like a a beloved figure of australian culture i don't think i want to be a part of australian culture if that's the case i mean the machetes that's a thing but I do, I do want to be a part of Australian culture because, and this is exciting, and notice that I'm just not going to introduce the person with me at any point in this introduction I of, don't our, know who this is our, of our podcast. Um, Game Life Balance Australia just launched or relaunched or started or restarted? You can ask them. No, I know. I think they say, um, I don't know, they might have a term for that in Australian. Well, whatever the case... Game Life Balance Australia. They were reborn. They it, are born anew. They are born again. They are a born again podcast. Yes. That, I think that's actually... That's definitely the impression I got. I think that is actually the most accurate term. They are a born again podcast. Mm-hmm. So this is, of course, Game Life Balance US. The reason we're Game Life Balance US is because back in the day, a.k.a. a few months ago... Game the Life, internet time. The internet time, yes. Uh, Game Life Balance was the name of a podcast... Uncle Stabbo and I really liked the name. And then we were like, well, can we have that podcast name? And these two Australian dudes who hosted the show said, well, sure, but actually we kind of want to keep doing Game Life Balance now that you mention it. So I was like, well, cool. We can be Game Life Balance US and you can be Game Life Balance Australia. And then they mm. did that. And now that's a thing. And they're live yes. now at GameLifeBalanceAustralia.com. And it's very, very exciting. And you should go check that out at GameLifeBalanceAustralia.com. And this week, the perfect way to kick off and commemorate an episode of Game Life Balance US with the launch of Game Life Balance Australia is by replacing one of our two regular hosts with my girlfriend. While we're investigating the Uncle Stabo thing. Yeah, the Uncle Stabo. Well, I I mean, I know you haven't had a chance to listen to the first episode of Game Life Balance Australia yet, but... I've listened to part. Well, I know that. And you saw the promo, of course. Uh, but you, you don't know this, but they actually identified that not only is Jonathan Uncle Stabo, but I am actually a Nigerian princess. I can see it. Yeah. I can totally see it. Yeah. So I think it's because you were riding a lion when I met you. That's it is because I was riding a lion when uh, when we met. We met in a petting zoo. Um, however... You should not have been on the lion. Well, you know. I will say, Game Life Balance Nigeria, not taken yet. So if you were a prince, 
or princess, and you would like to license the name Game My Balance Nigeria, please get in touch with our Australian colleagues. Then we at least have a point of contact one of the halfway around the world's between us. And this is a great segue, actually, into the work of Roberto Bolaño. We're not talking about that yet. We are. Stop getting ahead of yourself. <laughs> Stop. It's just really such a good segue. Because he's not a national writer. He's an international writer. Yes, but we're not... We have to make a natural transition. That was natural. That was... Mm, it was natural. It was anti-national and natural. He's very anti-national. He's, an, he's the great anti-nationalist of... The preceding generation that is not ours. Here's how transitions work on this podcast. Do they? Exactly. I say something unrelated to something John says, but kind of related to something that's tangentially related to something John says. If you don't want to be with John, why don't you just be with John? God. Because he's stabbing someone right now. He's uncle stabbing someone right now. That's the thing. I would <laughs> he love to. He stabs uncles. Well, right. And I would uncle stab, but I'm a Nigerian princess. So at best I can ant stab, but that's pretty much the best I can do. It still counts, though. It does. And for those if you, for those wondering, although who, like wonders, myself. who wonders logic in, in this podcast, for those wondering, Jonathan was at the Minnesota caucus voting on Tuesday, which is when we normally record. And that is why... For the president. For the president. So he was caucusing for the presidential primary nomination... Mm-hmm. for one party or another, and he and his wife were both doing that. So I said, well, that's actually great timing because I have many things I could talk about with your backup, your understudy. Your understudy, that's the word. You were John's, you were Uncle Sarah's understudy. No, you're his understudy. Do you know what an understudy is? You've been I in theater. Understand You've been, I'm yeah. just making sure. I don't know how well versed in the I theater. I didn't realize that my ranking in relationship to John was so low in your life. <laughs> well, yeah. Like understudy. I couldn't get John. I tried. I guess you'll do. You live here anyway. But to be fair, you're my primary girlfriend, and he's the understudy girlfriend. <laughs> so. I wonder, I should give him some tips, maybe. He is my primary. That's why he's been asking me so many personal questions lately. Yes, you're the understudy co-host, he is the understudy girlfriend. I think that it's, you're you're equal, virtually equal in ranking. Listen, I'm not competing with John. I'm above that. Are you sure? Then why why did you beg me to be on this podcast? People compete for me. Is that what they do? Maybe you're the understudy boyfriend. Who's the main? Ooh. (laughs) <laughs> good good answer. Good answer. You bring up an excellent point. So, anyway, so here we are. Roll away. Yeah, stop, stop rolling away. You're too far away from the microphone. Also, I apologize in advance for the audio quality of this episode because we are sharing the one microphone I have while I am in the process of upgrading my entire equipment setup at home. So, you know, what can you do? But we have compelling content that we're going to be discussing today. Yes, I thought earlier. You thought earlier. When do we get to the part where we say something? <laughs> You're so wrong. Um, <clears throat> That's not how that works. We don't get to that point quickly. That's not okay. the idea of this this podcast. It's a leisurely. Life, it's a lifestyle podcast. A 19th century lifestyle. A very very 19th century. Mm-hmm. Very 19th century. Back when people had time to chat with <clears throat> neighbors and you know talk about the weather. How are you doing? Yeah, it'd be nice know, if my neighbors introduced themselves. At some, at any point, or did any, yeah, they're listening next door. You know what they're doing next door? Is listening they're, to country music? Probably listening to loud country music is what they do. So, 
there is that. But right now, I do want to, just for a moment, talk about some life stuff. name of the segment so at this point we're going to talk about what we saw over the weekend later in this podcast we're going to talk about twin peaks what the listener doesn't know is that we actually just talked about twin peaks but i'm moving that segment of the episode to the end of the episode because if you haven't watched twin peaks then you'll have no idea what's going on whereas if you haven't read 2666, which no one has read. Lots of people have read the book. Many people listening to this podcast probably have not read 2666. So it's safer to say that we're going to be more accessible when talking about 2666 than we were or will be about Twin Peaks. Is your mind blown yet? So we're assuming a non-linear progression of time. We are assuming a non-linear progression of time and space. Here's the best part, though. In the video YouTube version of this podcast, I'm not going to change anything. I'm only going to do this for the audio version. You're so eager to not edit that you're going to break the laws of physics. Yes. Yes. It is so great. So... Before we talk about Twin Peaks, despite the seamless transition that may or may not have occurred before, now, or later, no, who knows? Thank God for the pluperfect. The what? <laughs> you can't use three-syllable words. Pluperfect? Yes. That's not, actually, it's not really an example of the pluperfect, but it's... Oh, it's okay, so now we're going to use complicated words that don't even apply. I see how Can I tell is. you what it is in Spanish? Because we're transitioning to talk about knowledge in Spanish. Sure, let's do it. Plusquamperfecto. Plusquamperfecto. That's all you need to know. It's the only word anyone needs in Spanish. Mm. Plus perfecto. Well, speaking of Spanish, we saw a play on Saturday. In English. In English. Yes. But it's based on a novel that was written in Spanish. Maybe I won't be uploading this to YouTube at all because the video has frozen. That's fine. Yeah, we'll do it. Yeah. I'll just be... start a new video. Yeah. Two videos for the price of one. Chapter two, in which Cody and Casey talk about what Casey thought we were going to be talking about to begin with, but Cody wouldn't let her. I told you we were going to talk about Twin Peaks. It was warm <laughs> and slightly cloudy. I don't even know what you're saying. I'm not going to let you have your book. You're not going to be able to hold it up to the camera. I'm going to hold it up to the camera. Mm. Do you know what it even says? What's the title? Roberto Bolaño, 2666. It's rolling my R. Yeah, that's it. 2666. Six does not have an R. You don't roll the R. It's six. The number of the beast. Well, that is a good theory because uh, no one actually knows why it's called 2666. All right, so... It has 2,666 paragraphs, maybe. So you were like, hey, we're going to a five-hour play based on this book that I keep talking about. And I was like, cool, so let's do it. And then we did it, and I enjoyed it. It was five-hour play at the Goodman Theater, world premiere. Adaptation. It was a world, a world premiere, yes. Um, the, the, the novel itself, which is by Roberto Bolaño, who was born in Chile in 1950 and lived much of his life in Mexico and the last part of his life in Barcelona and died in 2003. So he's probably the most widely translated and, and read Latin American author um, in the last 10 or 15 years, you know, sort of the Garcia Marquez um, of our generation. A major bestseller and has been translated, I think, into like something like 40 languages. So he's a big deal. He's been read uh, by many people in many languages around the world. 
2666 is his last posthumously published novel, which is actually five novellas or novels, really, because they're about 200 pages each in one book. And uh, it was recently, after I think about 10 years of script revisions and work, because it was published in 2006. And so uh, it was re- It was recently released as a play, which we were privileged enough to see. Yeah, Because we awesome. live in Chicago. So it's, I mean, it's actually a really big deal. And it's, it's amazing. There aren't many, uh, many books like this that have been brought to the theater. It, it's a really hard book, I think, to make theatrical. It has very little uh, reported dialogue, lots of uh, internal kind of vacillations and uh, just sort of reported speech and... Uh, and obviously a very complicated plot that takes place in uh, in three different continents. But not too many characters, right? And I think that's what maybe lends itself to a stage adaptation pretty well. Not too many central characters. Not too many central characters. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's it's character-driven enough to where if you, you could limit it, yes, to, let's say, like a, an ensemble member of like 10 people and, and make sense of it. Um, but basically, the, it, it's five books. The first is uh, the part about the academics, and there are four academics from Europe who are obsessed with the German writer. Uh, then there's what's called the part about Amalfitano, who is a Chilean academic living in exile in Mexico, whom the aforementioned academics meet. Yes. So part one is these four people, basically professors obsessed with this author. Yes. Trying to find him physically because yes. he's one of these authors, kind of like... Uh, Thomas Pynchon. Thomas Pynchon. Or Salinger. Or Salinger, who people basically never see ever yeah. or know what he looks like, yeah. things like that. The so, best authors, basically. Yeah, yeah. So part one is, is these four people obsessed with him, and then during their travels they meet this guy... Part yes. two is about this guy. Mm-hmm. That- so it obeys this tangents. You kind of the the next part will be dictated on some tangent by the previous part. So then you find out about this guy and his daughter, and he's concerned about the safety of his daughter because there have been a lot of uh, killings in the town, which is a, a made up town called Santa Teresa. It's based on Ciudad Juarez, which is a border town in the north of Mexico, where um, as of this year, between 1993 and I think uh, 2015, um, over 800 women have 800? been killed. 800. Mm-hmm. In real life. In real life. So it's based on it's based on that uh, serial killer or killers. Serial killers because it's it can't as in Twin Peaks. Um, it's not always easy to attribute all of society's problems to one monstrous person. Sometimes it's a more um, diffuse and elusive issue. So that's the second part. And then the third part, um, it brings in the only American character. Bolaño, I don't think ever was in the U.S. that I'm aware of and doesn't really talk about the U.S. very much. But it brings in a a black journalist from Harlem who's there to ostensibly report on a boxing match, but then gets caught up precisely in these... uh, in this uh, pandemic in the, in the of murders, femicides yeah. and wants to report on them. So that's the the third part. Yeah, that's right. And then that brings, oh, that brings us to the fourth part, which is just about the killings. It's about basically the detectives and the journalists covering the killings. Yes. Pretty much. Yeah. But super macabre. Basically. Yeah, it's pretty much just about women being murdered. Yeah. For 200 pages. You yeah. skipped that part of the book. And I skipped a long part of it because the way it reads in the novel is it's just like, you know, Rosa Maria Santos de, de la Serna. Was ca- and it's just a catalog of, of really gruesome murders, which are, you know, based on real life. In the play, they captured more the journalist and the police corruption. And in some cases, the police actually killed the women themselves. 
uh, because corruption. And so it, it feels more like a, a film noir yeah. kind of situation. Yeah. And then part five is about the writer. The, the German writer. The German writer yeah. who the academics are obsessed with from part one. So see, it all comes back around. So it does come back around and there's a lot of tangents, but not every, it doesn't all add up to a coherent whole. It's a lot of kind of missed encounters or almost encounters or brief encounters. But um, I think one thing that the, the play does is that it tries to establish a, an ambiance, like a distinct tone for each novel. So the first one, let's say, is kind of a parody of academia. There are these ridiculous, self-absorbed, selfish people who don't deal with their own issues but then go to conferences about their issues. So let's say if they've been sleeping with each other and they feel guilty, they go to a conference about guilt in colonial literature. It's as a kind of former or once as a future a academic, someone who spent a lot of time in academic circles and has gone to literary conferences and things like that. It's hysterical. And it's like spot on. Like Bolaño is, and that's why there's actually not that much written about this book, actually. Because it, it mostly uh, resonates with PhDs. It makes fun of the entire academic. Yeah. I mean, it make it really, it, 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 it's rough. It, it It's a really biting satire. Like, Bolaño himself, like, was a trash collector, and then he sold jewelry, and, like, he lived really poorly, and he was, you know, he was a malito, uh, you know, sort of a, a marginal French lupin kind of writer. So people who are just, like, being paid to drink Riesling um, and talk about writers as opposed to writing, I don't think he looked very favorably on. Was which I respect thing. quite a lot, to be honest. So... That that part impacted me, but um, it's interesting because you liked that part in the play quite a bit, right? The it's first great. act, yeah, it was excellent. Um, I think it works really well in the play. I didn't like it at all because I imagined the characters totally differently, which is oh, one of the perils of reading the book. First. That's why I didn't like it because they're supposed to be Europeans, and none of them had the right accents, and they all acted very American. And the girl was supposed to be British, and she was just like this loud kind of vulgar. She was like a waitress in a bar or something. Yeah, the, she worked at all. The as, accents were a little inconsistent. That was my only major critique with mm. the entire thing, was that they go to Germany. Two people have German accents. The other two Germans don't have accents. It's like, what are you doing? Yeah, I, I, they should have done them though. I think they should have. They should have made everyone do them consistently. I yes, I know I, it's perilous. Yeah, well, what do you and think? that's well, and that's the that's the risk you run with theater is if you have somebody do a bad accent. It's then it makes everything yeah. terrible. Yeah. So play it safe or not play it safe. It's kind of a it's kind of a toss up. Um, so I don't know. I can see it kind of either way. But that was the only little shortcoming I saw. I mean, if you live in Chicago and you can go to the Goodman Theater, I'd recommend it. I did not think it felt like five hours. So they do it. It's like an hour and fifteen minutes. Then an intermission. Hour and fifteen minutes. Intermission. And then like an hour and a half. And then an intermission. And then one more hour plus block. And it's over. And it, like I said, it does not feel long. I don't think. I think maybe at one point during the third or fourth, I thought it maybe was a little long within itself, within mm -hmm. that hour block. But overall, I didn't think it was long, which is good. No, no. It, 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 um, the pace was, was, I think, really well done. And um, it's interesting because, like... In the book, like when you, what it feels long to me in the first part actually, because what happens with the academics is they go to this conference and they go to the other conference and they sleep with each other and then they talk about the same thing that they always talk about and then their lives are meaningless and pointless and they continue to do pointless things and you don't care about them at all and that goes on for like two hundred pages so it's it's a critique of academia but it can be quite tedious because you don't identify. Um, and then the second part, which is the part about this kind of like um, this 
Chilean um, in exile academic who's kind of having this crisis and he thinks he's going insane and he's worried about his daughter and all of a sudden this is a person that you identify with extremely and he's having like he's a very vulnerable um, sensitive intellectual but he's at that point where it's like someone's so smart that they're also about to go insane he's kind of teetering on the edge I feel like that a lot me too Yes. Actually. So you identify. It's a really good part. It like works really well. There's tons of literary references as in always. In the book. In the book. And the play doesn't work at all. It doesn't work yeah. at all. Because all of that internal turmoil and the and the, the niceties and the um the, the fine details about the character who's like sitting there writing out like complicated triangles that have like different obscure philosophers at different points and he's trying to figure out why he's doing this compulsively. Like you can't do that in theater very well. And yeah. they didn't do it at all in the play. Yeah. And so it just becomes this whiny dude. Whiny kind of insane dude, but it was at least truncated. Yeah. Because yeah. they I mentioned there are four main parts. Uh, the second section of performance is parts two and three of the book, both. So part one gets its own hour. Part three gets its own hour. Part four gets an, or part four. Yeah, part no. Parts four and five each get their own hour, mm-hmm. but two and three are mashed together. Yeah. Um, still Even, distinct, yeah. but within an hour and a half time yeah. block. So they, they're given less time. So less less time is spent on them. And it's interesting, too, that I think one of the things that, now that I'm thinking about it, that kind of holds the story together, and in contrast to something like Twin Peaks, for example, which we will talk about. Or have talked about. Or have talked about. It's hard to know. Or (laughs) the once in future conversation about Twin Peaks, is that it's it's tangential enough to where you stay kind of interested, but it's coherent enough to where you're invested and I think it's it's a very fine line to walk that the um that the play and the and the movie do really well. And one of the things that keeps it together the or the I'm sorry, the um the, the book, book and the play. Because I was gonna say if there's a movie, are you gonna make me watch it? He that has too? actually there's a there is a movie that um was made of a very short novel that he wrote called A Little Lumpen Novel. Why haven't we watched that? Uh we shall. We can watch it right now. I love it. It's really good. Not it's on the Ita- podcast. It's an Italian movie. We can't watch it on the podcast. He's Why is it Italian? Little... I thought he was a Spanish writer. The he is, but it's a very complicated thing. His heirs are very protective of his rights and copyright and stuff like that. So it's it's very hard to republish or do anthologies, or turn certain things into film. But for whatever reason, the Italians were able to get around a, a loophole, basically. And so they were able to make a little Lupin novel, which is about a uh, an actor and a boxer, sort of. It's a really interesting. We should watch it. It's really good. Okay. Okay. Um, but anyway, so they were able to make that into a, into a movie, which I'm happy to show you and talk about. Always. Like and it's it's a very short novel, too. Always. The next time uh, my regular co-host is not and I need an understudy, I think that's a good idea. Yes. Well, obviously it wouldn't be the same listener because <laughs> or listeners. But, well, because, I mean, I feel like I, I'm nothing like John and we don't talk about things. You're but, exactly like John. What I was going to say is one of the things that ties it together, and this is um, this is a Latin american well, it's an American trope. Faulkner does it um, as well, is you create a fictional town. And then once you create a fictional town, you can have these kind of random meetings and re-meetings of characters. And it creates a, like a virtual reality, like a parallel universe. I'm sure there's games or other things that you can think of that create this this town and they're kind of referred back to later. But Santa Teresa is not a real town. It's based on this, but it appears in Savage Detectives, which is his big bestseller. 
Uh, but it's, it appears differently. It's, it's just kind of a regular little Mexican town. Whereas in 2666, it's basically apocalyptic. You know, it's, it's a place where it's, it's a dying, deathly, fatal place. It's like a Cormac McCarthy novel. Like something. Detroit. Yeah, or, yeah, except much more dangerous. It's like Detroit, but more women are being murdered, uh, senselessly. Right. So, but I think it's, it's a really, if you can, if you're a good enough novelist where you can create a bunch, a whole, f- world of characters it's a really good way of tying them in and bringing them back to each other and then it gives your creative world some sort of it's like a middle earth thing but on a more limited scale all comes back to token with you doesn't it every time well it's the closest i can get to comparing my worlds or i don't know what's the game of thrones world called westeros yes it's like that that's better Okay. We should watch Game of Thrones. Okay, let's go do that. This is my takeaway from the 2666 slash Twin Peaks podcast is that we should watch Game of Thrones, which I think is what the listener was thinking. Actually, I think that at this point, the hosts of Game Life Balance Australia are just thinking to themselves, where did, where did he find this woman and why is she so intelligent? <laughs> and how do we do this? Except they wouldn't say it like that. They'd say it with an Australian accent, which I will not attempt on this episode. I may try it with Uncle Stabo when he's around, mm-hmm. but I do not feel qualified at this exact moment to be uh, pretending to be our Australian uh, cohorts, colleagues. There are two things, though, I think that we should, before we leave 2666. We're not I, leaving it. I was okay. just making a joke. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, I, Laugh. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Shut up. Keep talking. <laughs> Where's my wine? I'm out of wine. You didn't pour me out of wine. Oh, go get wine. I can't you know, leave keep, my episode. You and I, listener, will have a conversation. What don't you just talk about? No, keep going. Let's, no, well, I no, but hear, I think they're, they're, they're I concerned. Want, I need you to synthesize more. Well, this is our first. Here's what happens. Here's what we do. My girlfriend and I are very intelligent intellectuals, right? Mostly her, but also mostly me. So what we do is we do really smart endeavors and then we analyze them. And we need to get everything out about 2666-66. Except what the title means, because we don't know. I would, no one knows. Although I would like to venture a hypotenuse. Yes. I'd like to, to gesture a hypotenuse, if you will. <clears throat> so. Oh, I have one too now. <laughs> what? I just came up with it. I'm going to publish an article about it. I, are you? No. Oh, dude, Did I have to write no, an article? I, I literally and thought you were going, you were serious. I'm, no, no, academics I mean, are frustrated people who don't do real writing, according to this book. According to this book, but we all know who know you that you do write. Well, sorry. So here's my theory, right? Theorem, if it were, as it were. So on page 666, it is it is clearly written that alquiler lo gestiona una empresa de promotores inmobiliarios propiedad de un nieto de la anciana. And I think what we can all take away from that is pretty obvious. So I'm not going to get into details, but I'd like to hear your theory and see if it's half as good as mine. Okay, well, um, I don't know what your theory is. <laughs> She doesn't Except know how to read you, between the lines. That's the problem. More time with Rosetta Stone. I think that you. No, but that was beautifully I, read. Well, life. I como dato curioso. Yes, as an as an interesting dato curioso would be like fun fact. Por favor. Then, um, all right. So, 
One theory is that it, the various people have claimed that the novel is about uh, badness or evil or vi- it's definitely about violence. But um, the thing with this, uh, the Santa Teresa killings, for example, is that um, they seem like serial killings, but it's impossible that one person be doing this. So there's something like in the society that is like causing repeated killings of, of young women. So there's something deeply wrong in like the fabric of, of society here in this like really extreme way. And then the other example that everyone always goes to, and this is something that I find interesting and, and like to rant about is um the Nazis and the Holocaust, right? So the, the example for like 20th century is like failure and, uh, the, you know, just the epic, epic, gigantic, massive killings is usually, um, the Holocaust. And that's like a, one of the themes that like Bologna returns to. And the last part, which is about the German writer is actually about, um, a World War II era German writer. So he kind of gets drafted into the Nazi army and then he, you know, um, deserts and so on. So like there's a, an implicit parallel between like World War II violence. And uh, what's happening in Mexico. But obviously, the World War II violence is um, the subject of an infinite number of films, whereas the Ciudad Juarez killings um, have not really been the subject of anything except this novel and a couple articles which have been suppressed. So there's like some sort of parallel, right? Like bet- um, between uh, between these these massive killings. And uh, so 666 is the number of the devil, but there's two devils. What, who are the two devils? Uh, one of them is Mexican and one of them is German. One of them is the European one, and then there's the other one in Mexico. Hmm. Two forms. Well, instead of the two devils, two forms of evil. Two forms of uh, two two apocalypses. Apocalypses. Apocalypse. So he could have just named the book two dot 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 because then there would have been two ellipses. No, so that would be, but that would not be an apocalypses. Why not? Because it would just be an ellipses. Okay. Anyway, so that is a, um, it's not a real theory, but. It is a real theory. I thought it was very well articulated. But anyway, um, you know, check out, uh, check out 2666, the book. There are translations in English, right? Oh yeah, no, it's been translated. It was translated pretty quickly, actually. All of Bolaño has basically been translated, which is very unusual in a Latin American writer. And he's, he's very fun to read. I will say he has a sense of humor. Um, the action is, he's, he's a very gifted narrator, so the stories are engaging. It's full of anecdotes. Um, but you're, you're, you'll rarely be bored. And if you want, uh, lots of sex and violence, it's a great book to read. If you want to, uh, to reflect on various obscure theories by Marcel Duchamp, that's also a great book to read. Like it, it's really, um, intellectually stimulating and also just a page turner. Uh, so I, it's definitely recommendable. And you can skip some novels if you want, because I did. <laughs> She did skip most of the the murderous one. I remember when she was first uh, when you were first describing the book to me. It was kind of a uh, yeah. I'm still reading twenty six sixty six. I just skipped two hundred pages because it's all about just women being murdered. And I was just like, okay. Well, I tried for a while, but I wasn't able to like pick it up off the nightstand and know that that was what I was going to be immersed in. So it's questionable reader ethics, perhaps you know, to to skip big portions. Yeah, of I can't book. skip around books. I can't skip it. Like I just got a book on. On history, that is uh, five jillion pages. And I said, I'm never going to make it through this book. And you said, well, it's more like a reference book. You can use it as a reference book. Well, it's book. called on politics. I do yeah. not operate that way. Yeah, I but have to read what about, do you, do you have a dictionary? Every time you open it, do you like, oh man, I need to read this. Yes, I've read the dictionary cover to cover <laughs> seven <laughs> definitely times. Definitely not. We've been over this. Yes, I have. 
wow, how quixotic of you of to question my erudite solipsism. Quite an onanistic thing for you to do. You're just prepping for our epic Scrabble face-off. Am I? Wow, what a decoupage of an an assertion that was. (laughs) Fine. Let me imbibe uh, uh, the milk of the poppy, so to speak. Heroin? Mm. Milk of the poppy is not heroin. Heroin is made from poppies. Okay, well, that changes everything about Game of Thrones that I've ever known. You don't even know because we haven't watched it yet. And yet again, the conversation turns to, here's what I've learned about 2666. We need to watch Game of Thrones. Maybe. But 2666 does not celebrate violence. No. Neither does Game of Thrones. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. There's no glory in death. I'm just very skeptical of uh, things that are that popular. You just told me... Roberto Bolaño is one of the most widely yes, translated yes, authors by, in Latin America. Yeah, but that's not the same as being like on uh, everyone's like Netflix queue. We just saw a five-hour play at the Goodman Theater. Someone spent yes, ten years yes, adapting. Yes, yeah, but I mean, he's popular by a lot. He's as popular as any Latin American author is likely to be. I'm saying that you're. Uh, it's been compared to Moby Dick, did you know? Yeah, and Moby I Dick is very popular. Valid, very popular with people. It's not a valid comparison. Well, yeah, it is. It's valid. It's A, a long book, and B, a book. There's no whale. On today's podcast, we're going to talk about a couple things. Uh, I mentioned that it was a really, really good timing for John to be absent for the caucuses because we've mentioned many times on the Game Life Balance US podcast that my girlfriend and I were watching Twin Peaks. And this week, before I even found out John was going to finish caucusing, we finished the first two seasons, a.k.a. the entire original run of Twin Peaks. And... Yes, which is 30 episodes, only 10 of which are considered good. (laughs) 20, 20. It doesn't jump the shark until, okay, maybe 15. Okay. But... So, we actually appeared They're on... They're all amazing, though. It's infinitely better than anything else you were watching, I'm sure. It is. It? Wow. Casting aspersions on the listener. That's rough. <laughs> wow. Um, we went on Craig Collins' podcast. Craig Collins is a producer slash WGM Plus host. We went on his podcast, You've Binge Challenged, on WGM Plus. And Casey and I both actually discussed with him several weeks ago our thoughts on Twin Peaks. We challenged him to binge watch season one of Twin Peaks, which Mm -hmm. he did, and he enjoyed it. And you can hear us go into a lot of detail about a lot of things on that podcast. So I want to just tell you to go to WGMplus.com to check that out. But we were halfway to two-thirds of the way through the series when we did that episode. We were a couple episodes past the point where you find out who killed Laura Palmer, which is really the crux of the series. Now we've had a chance to finish the series. Yes. So go to that podcast if you want to hear us talk about the music and the undertones and all these themes and all these other things. And talk about the end of Twin Peaks. Or as I like to call it, the decline of Twin Peaks. The severe, steep decline. I would say more like the explosion. The explosion? Because decline, I think, implies that it's all kind of going down the same path. Whereas I think it fragments and it shoots off into various different trajectories at um, astonishing and, and violent speeds. That's probably fair. So, for those who have not seen Twin Peaks, it's basically the best show ever. As my, as my, older, as my oldest brother would say, it's the best show ever made. Nothing is as cool as that. Come on. And on television. 
on television. And I think he's right. It is a, it is a very phenomenal series. But uh, season one is eight episodes. Unbelievably good. Season two is 22 episodes. About 10-ish episodes in, you find out who killed Laura Palmer, which is the crux of the show. And then... It, as you would say, it jumps the shark and, and, decline, and isn't as good. And I tried explaining this to Casey because I had seen it up until that point and then a couple episodes passed. And I tried explaining it becomes nearly unwatchable. After, as but soon not, as that not happens. immediately. I don't think so. So you disagree with my immediately, but it does at some point become unwatchable. Well, I think it, it depends on why you're watching it. If you're watching it for like a, a good detective murder mystery with a, with a twist, with a sort of... Uh, oniric, dreamlike, uh, experimental kind of twist where things don't always add up, then once your whodunit kind of motor runs out of gas, which it does when you supposedly find out who it is, um, who's not a real person, by the way, it's more like a force. Spoiler alert. metaphor. Spoilers, kind oh, of. Yeah, well, it's not a real... It's, or, or is it? This was... Tr- <laughs> wow. <laughs> Good to cover. That was you. You wow! I was it indeed. Was it indeed? Are we even talking about the same? Are we even talking about Twin Peaks? I don't know. Yes. So once once the the plot kind of runs out of juice in that way, then it, it can seem to get worse. But I don't think. I think what happens is just that the the motives and the characters and the sense of intertwined stories falls apart. So the characters cease to be as consistent. And the stories, instead of being intertwined, just kind of, you know, meander off in their little various directions. And some of those directions are terrible, terrible directions that no story should ever take. And some of them are really good. But, like, the general aesthetic and uh, a lot of, like, the touches that, for me, make it, like, a really good show are still there. So that makes it worth watching through to, like, the very end when it starts to get, like, really bad. Because the thing about Twin Peaks is that it's a parody of a soap opera. And when it is just as bad or worse than the thing it parodies, which happens at points, then what are we even doing? You know? I will say, I thoroughly enjoyed the final episode where David Lynch goes full avant-garde, experimental Really? Film. Didn't you like it? Yeah, yeah, I'm surprised. Well, I, to a point, but I mean, it's... it's uh, there's just like a very long, almost like dream sequence that that has no, you know, doesn't seem to obey any particular logic. It's in a totally parallel reality, and it's kind of capricious, and it could go on indefinitely, and it seems to go on for about forty minutes, but it maybe only goes on for like ten. No, the last scene in that series is probably twenty to thirty minutes. Yeah, it's it's long. It's long, so it's fine. Again, it's one of those things that I think everyone has a different threshold. But it's, I mean, it's good. You know, it's, uh, and I think there is some sort of conclusion to be made, but it's difficult to say what. It's very elusive. There are many conclusions one could make yes. from it, but I, I don't know. I actually did enjoy the final episode. All the episodes leading up to the final episode, I found intolerable. What do you think is the worst? The thing. worst thing. The, well, like, all right. So once once we know who killed, kind of, Laura Palmer. Laura, you, you find out who killed Laura Palmer physically. Yeah, but that doesn't mean. But that, it's not the same as being held personally responsible and the compelling force that made him physically kill her um, lives on. Sure. So as a new threat. But what what do you think is what do you think what do you think they do wrong? What are some of like the errors? Everything. Like, I, I, this is what I'm actually really interested in. I actually want, if someone's listening to this podcast and, and wants to direct me towards an analysis of this, but I'm really interested in shows that jump the shark 
so harshly that they be completely become unwatchable. So I've seen this happen multiple times in the past. After season one of Heroes, season one of Heroes is exceptional. Every subsequent season of Heroes is literally the worst television ever produced. Ever. <laughs> season four of Heroes is an atrocity against mankind. Season four of Heroes is, is physically painful to even contemplate during or after there is nothing... I think almost every show does do this, No, though. there is nothing in media that has ever been as bad as season four of Heroes. Right, this is an extreme case, but what I'm saying is that uh, a story runs its course, and if it's popular... Well, yeah, sometimes it goes too long, obviously. I think that... that, that I think uh, almost always, but, actually. But after season one of Heroes, it jumps... It becomes bad, right? Mm. After season two-ish of Battlestar Galactica, which season one of Battlestar Galactica, one of the best seasons ever made... Of television. After season two, it jumps the shark really horrendously, and I feel it becomes very unwatchable. That I can point to a couple things, like they make Gaius Baltar less important, and other things that Casey doesn't understand because she has not seen the show that I won't get into. Um, there are a couple other shows that have done this. But the listener might. Uh, the listener might. So there are some shows that, that, yeah, they outlive their usefulness, like The Office. But there are other shows like like Battlestar, like Heroes, like uh, like Twin Peaks that are so, so good, but then flip so, so quickly. And I want to read some kind of essay on what it has in common. Is it always the writing? We even notice this in Doctor Who. After David Tennant leaves and Stephen Moffat starts becoming the writer, uh, when Matt Smith becomes the Doctor, Doctor Who sharply declines. changes in... Well, she said, in, in Casey says declines. I say... You say decline. I say... I say because it's different. I think it's still watchable, but to some people... It's formulaic. It's, it has a very transparent story formula that it deploys repeatedly in so you, each you, episode. you don't like that. You know, it drove you crazy, but like... No. There really. are a lot of shows that don't... You can't point to, it became formulaic. Or you can't point to, this character changed. There's always different factors. But I think with Twin Peaks, we can point to several things. You think we can point to... I don't know what yeah, we can point I, to. I think that Tell just, me what we can point to. The well, like I said, like instead of having intertwined characters that are kind of like whose plots kind of relate to each other and affect each other, they just kind of go off and do their own thing. So, like, you have you know, Bobby and Shelley off doing their thing with Leo, which I think is actually really good. I think the Leo thing is amazing. The Leo storyline is pretty uh -huh. good, but it, that becomes like a horror genre. So, like, I think that basically instead of getting one show that is a very unusual but coherent genre where each scene kind of has the same feel you have a really um uneven show where there's like a horror movie like a like straight up no chaser horror with leo about to like kill anyone at any moment he's like the serial killer in the house you were basically. afraid i was extremely afraid i mean it was intense i thought that was really good and then audrey is doing like uh some sort of i don't even remember audrey's the worst Audrey becomes extremely inconsistent, and then she becomes really sentimental. That's really the low point, I think, for me. Um, then James is off on his own separate adventure, which has nothing to do, again, with anyone else. Like, all, none of the stories no longer relate to each other. So you have to just be in them for each character, which I think, I mean, maybe that's what they're betting on, that you're invested enough in the characters the way they, they basically each get their own little miniseries. Yeah, that's true. And it's really bad. Do you think that this, this show would have... Do you think the show because of its structure, necessarily had to get worse? Or do you think there's a way they could have written it to maintain its momentum that it had at the outstart? 
I think it could have maintained. I think it could have maintained. But I think like certain things did need to leave that were already kind of bad, even when the show is great. Like James and Donna and I, all I that. Like say, that had, that had run its course. I will say I hate Donna. I cannot stand the character of Donna. The James side plot with the old cougar. She I thought that was, old. She was like probably the R age. Well, whatever the whatever the cougar, the cougar for him. Yeah, I thought that was awesome. That's fine. So you liked it that. Was, you liked that spinoff because it was, it was perfectly over the top and terrible. And I can't stand James as a character either. But it was so overacted, and the dialogue was so overwritten. I enjoyed it thoroughly. James it had it. moments, it and you enjoyed Ben Horn. Oh my god, Ben Horn was the best. No, Ben Horn's insanity was was um, so yeah. That was a great story. It, again, it didn't really have much to do with anyone else. It kind of had to do with Catherine a little bit, but yeah. Yeah, but like kind of obliquely, you know. I mean, they had people come in and out. Like people would come in and like see him because he's got his fingers in so many little, you know, honey pots in the town. So he'll Ben Horn will always affect everyone, which is another reason why it works because that character is in everyone's life. And so he'll end up affecting everyone. Yeah. But no, his that was that was great. Everything they did with him, I thought was was excellent. Um, what were the other things that went like really awry? Well, you didn't though? like Agent Cooper becoming a less. His character becomes not really. He becomes more of an insider than an outsider. And before he's kind of the outside looking. In. I think that might be actually the most important bit is that once they yeah once they take his. His distance, his kind of critical distance and difference away, and then also his kind of invulnerability. Yeah. It is, it is comforting when, I mean, just from like a very vulgar perspective, it's comforting when there's like someone who like has all the answers and knows how to solve anything. When that person is under fire unjustly, then it gets a little alarming. And then the Wyndham Earl thing, I think, uh, had many moments where it did not work at all. But I thought Wyndham Earl as a character was really great. He's great as a character. Um, Agent Cooper's backstory with the love story, I thought was... I think they aired on the side of sentimentality, like, overwhelmingly for at least ten episodes. I can see that. Um, and then to make uh, Agent Cooper all about this past girl that he's getting over, like, I, I thought that was too inconsistent with the character, which is almost like an asexual kind of character that they develop early on. yeah. But and the chest thing was unnecessary. The chest thing didn't make and sense. And they threw it out. He's like, actually, I don't like this game anymore. And he just stops playing it. <laughs> yeah, that was a little. <laughs> the entire thing is like dispensed with. And then one of the other really bad things is the Josie Andrew Eckhart's. Uh, there's a whole bunch of like additional evil corporate characters with Hong Kong connections that are never explained, and they enter and they do dastardly deeds, and then they kind of leave and they end up kind of dominating a fair amount of the plot and you don't care about them at all like at all like not even remotely yeah i can see that yeah you never liked josie and josie is also not although <laughs> what happens to josie is really interesting the, the is it sh- interesting or dumb and weird and the andy the andy thing, thing i gets, never get into yeah even, that, that even, guy really even when laura palmer even when they haven't solved the murder when the whole andy the weird Andy father relationship thing with the... I will say that the, the fashion designer has has moments, and he's very 90s. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting what you said. You compared him to a whole bunch of people. He's like the villain in Happy Gilmore. He's like the villain in Caddyshack. He's like the villains in uh, the, the Frat House movie, uh, Animal House. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, he's like the villain. The snooty. Although those are 80s and 70s, I guess. But, um, yeah, the, the snooty... 
pretentious. It's just a comedy trope. Every Adam Sandler movie, basically. Several yeah. Chris Farley movies. I mean, even Tommy Boy, like, like Wayne's World. Like, but he's not an those. actual Mr. Cat. Like, that's the thing. He's a, he works at a, a men's clothing uh, store. department store, but he... His character is exactly right, like... Right. He's, he's not even real. Like, he's not even a real artist. Yeah, it's guy. so early 90s. It's such an early 90s trope. I don't know if it's early 90s, but it's, it's, so, it's been around and it's definitely established. Yeah, it could, it could extend past early 90s, but I think early 90s. I think it's most obvious in early 90s. One story I do like, though, is the, the widow and the mayor... That whole thing. That, that one actually, is a good story that's as well. A, that's a fun So there's some, yeah, there are some see, redeeming things, but they're so fragmentary. And then you'll mm-hmm. hop from like, oh, I really like this story. It's awesome. Like Ben Horn going crazy to like Audrey and this weird story with Billy Zane. that doesn't make any sense. And I don't Something, like him in this show. He doesn't work in the show. He doesn't work in the show at He doesn't all. work in the show at all. He's not eccentric in any way. He's just this generic pretty boy. And no one in Twin Peaks is generic. We went to, uh, Cody insisted on buying a $20 hot dog that took 20 minutes some time ago. And they have, they have hot dogs named after different celebrities. And then they'll be like, oh, this one is made out of kangaroo and it has, you know, guacamole and a, I don't know, patchouli or something. Like they get really exotic. And then there is a regular hot dog with mustard and that is called the Billy Zane. Really? I don't remember anything. Like and I was that. like, oh, wow, why is that called the Billy Zane? He's like, oh, he came in and that's what he ordered, so he called it the Billy Zane. And I was like, well, it's just a hot dog with mustard. And he's like, well, yeah, I mean, have you seen him in Titanic? You don't he remember was that the villain in Titanic? Yes. I remember the conversation now that you were. Because he's drunk like vanilla and flavorless. You weren't drunk. I probably could have been. Maybe you... I'm drunk now. Yeah, well, that's different. Is it? No, it's not different. There's no difference between being drunk now and having been drunk two months ago. All right, that's fair. Mm, on some level. All right. Tiny so, wimey. Speaking of Dr. Who. So I'm going to write it down. So what I just realized happened, or what I've been realizing just happened, is we just spent 15 minutes talking about Twin Peaks, which if you've not seen, you've now turned off this entire episode. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to, rev- I'm going to, st- I'm going to reverse... The flow of time. The flow of time. Here's what I'm... I'm going to take this segment about Twin Peaks, and I'm going to move it to the end of the podcast. But if you're hearing this right now, then you're already at the end of the podcast. We'll remove this. So... No, this will be in. Yeah. I keep things. So the last, like, the last, like, 15 or so minutes when we just talked about Twin Peaks is now different. You could have just written that down without saying I could have done a lot of things, but it doesn't mean I'm going to do them. Oh, I know. Yes. Well, this was a very different episode of Game Life Balance US. Normally, Jonathan, Uncle Stabo, Martin is with me. We talk about what is going on in our lives, and um, sometimes that involves video games, other times not. We are a lifestyle podcast. We are not a video game podcast, as is clearly, uh, plainly clear from this episode. I like to occasionally go in other directions sometimes. We'll, we'll have on guests that... It made him. That, uh, that program robots or... I told him I would... Or girlfriends that force themselves to be on this episode. In fact, next week, very likely, Jonathan Uncle Stabo Martin and his wife will be on to talk about their experience caucusing in Minnesota for the presidential caucuses. They will talk about this for three hours with two intermissions. <laughs> Yes, with two intermissions. So um, so we go in lots of different directions, and I hope that 
you've learned something and found this at least mildly interesting and stimulating and you choose to follow us, you can do so by um, going to like our website and stuff. <laughs> and I should probably... I should have pulled up the copy that I read at the end of every episode before I started closing the episode. Uh, and by a copy, I, mean, I can't eat a bite of an apple before I read this thing. I mean, before I recite this from memory is what I meant to say. So thank you for listening to the Game Life Balance U.S. podcast, the American edition of the Game Life Balance podcast. Please like, share, and subscribe if you enjoyed this episode. And leave us a review if you really want to make our day. And believe me, if Jonathan, Uncle Stabo Martin were here, he really would beg you on his knees to leave us an iTunes review. So I'm not exaggerating. That would make our day. Yes. You can find us on the Gunna Geek Network at GunnaGeek.com or on the official podcast network of Chicago's WGN Radio at WGNplus.com. You can learn more about Game Life Balance, including contact information and links to our sister show in Australia at GameLifeBalance.us. Or you can go check out our Australian brethren straight up at GameLifeBalanceAustralia.com. Did I use brev- brethren correctly there? No, I just have a question. What's the question? You guys say brethren, but you call it the sister show. Our show's female. We are sex gnostic. That's a, that explains. That is a juxtaposition of sex and agnostic. I am something of a um, monk. What What's the name of a th- when you combine two words? Portmanteau. I'm something of a portmanteartist. <laughs> I'm portmanteauded. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? Is that is that politically correct? I if don't. No one knows what you're saying. You can say whatever you want. <laughs>